Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the call 10 stocks picked by you two experts one hour. It is Friday the 19th of January. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you with us and our two experts on the show today, Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Welcome guys. Great to catch up with you again. Good to have you on the show. Um, of course, we've got a positive session underway locally today after, well, it's sort of been a bit of a rocky start, hasn't it, to begin the year. Claude, how are you looking at the markets at the moment? I was just taking a look at the Russell 2000, of course, you know, reflecting what we saw in, in the States uh, the last two months of last year, which built really nicely, of course, after a painful couple of years, certainly the small end. What are you seeing locally? Uh, well, I guess... Uh Starting from today, it's obviously a good day for the high beta gang, uh, by which, of course, I mean the, the classic stocks that you probably associate me with, like Prometicus and Altium. Obviously, uh, they're not exactly cheap stocks, and I own both of those. Uh, and we have had a bit of a recovery in the last half of, second, uh, of, of the year that we just had. You know, certainly I would I wish I'd say that I'm like, you know, the most skilled investor around. But obviously, my returns roughly correlate with the high beta gang. So, you know. I'd get an absolute uh, get get in trouble, you know, bad returns when when those high beta, high PE growth stocks go down, and then I benefit when they go back up. And obviously, I'm trying to be more than just you know a, a, a leaf in the wind there, but that's certainly how I look at uh, the markets at the moment. And of course, I have no idea where where it's going to go from here. Uh, look, my general bias over the long term is yes, I do invest in the high quality, high growth. Uh, businesses because I'm of the belief that those are the ones that do the best over the very long term. So you can just get lucky, find a good one and hold on to it for 10 years. And then that basically just forgives all your errors. And I'm not saying that will happen, but it's within that cohort of companies, the high quality growth companies that have true moats, all of that kind of stuff. That's where I believe you find the biggest multi-year winners. And, and that's where I, you know, continue. I'm going to, if those kind of high quality stocks or, or the stocks the markets thinks the high quality go well, then by design, I should go well as well. Obviously, you get the real alpha when you find one that the market doesn't really know if it's high quality yet. And then it proves itself over a few years and it joins the game. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Luke, does that sort of align with your investment philosophy? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, um, you know, we're all looking for, for high quality growth stocks. Um, and, and, you know, uh, for me and, and, and Claude as well, we're, we're trying to find the, the next ProMedicus and Altium, those smaller stocks that can sustain the long pathway of growth and become larger and enter into indexes and, and get the, the sweet flows of superannuation or, or passive index funds. Um, but look, I mean, as, as for the broader market, I, I tend to agree um, with your intro there, Andrew. We, we rallied hard in, in the back end of last year, you know, a bit of a Santa rally and, and, you know, the market getting ahead of itself with the potential for, for rate cuts, particularly in the US, um, perhaps moderated a little bit. Inflation data remains a little bit sticky. You know, obviously at the employment report, yes, it was a bit weak, which again sort of complicates things a little. 
Um, but for me, I think we're just a bit of a holding pattern until we get to to earnings season next month. Um, and, and the one positive I would take is, I'm, I'm, you know, there hasn't been too many downgrades. Normally, this is a bit of a confession season for, for companies who maybe were a bit too optimistic at their AGM or, or put things off until they had a bit more, um, you know, time under their belt. Haven't seen too many, so fingers crossed we get a decent earnings season and, and that's the trajectory for the next leg up for the market. You want it to be driven by those fundamentals. Yeah, of course, earnings season just around the corner. It comes comes out quickly. All right, well, let's uh, take a preview of the stocks we're going to take a look at in the first half of the show. Acute Census, uh, Coast Entertainment, which was formerly Ardent, uh, Star Entertainment, Newix and Sonic Healthcare. Our stock of the day is Mesoblast. It shares, well, they're flying uh, this morning, are currently up around 15 or 16%. In fact, that's off the back of a US FDA granting cell therapy rare pediatric disease tag to treat rare heart condition. Uh, the cell therapy uh, Revascor has the potential to treat a rare heart condition, which primarily affects children. The company chief executive planning to meet with the FDA to accelerate the approval of the drug trial. Uh, if it's proved, Mesoblast may be eligible to receive a, a voucher for priority review of future drug applications. So big news there for Mesoblast. Uh, Luke, what do you make of the news and your outlook more broadly for the stock? Look, it's tough to be too enthused about Mesoblast, Andrew, just because of the history of the business. Um, I mean, it's a it's a development stage biotech that's been around for many, many years and just really hasn't been able to find that that one you know big product or big breakthrough that that, that sees the company um, you know become a true business, I suppose, and not just a, a research uh, company. Um, as far as what they're doing with this drug, I mean, it, it sounds fantastic in the sense of, um, you know, the FDA have a program to to target, you know, uh, what they call orphan drugs being, um, you know, ones that don't have a large addressable market and may not attract, um, you know, the medical attention they should, given those markets aren't as large from a commercial point of view. And it's fantastic that Mesoblast has this designation, hopefully gets the the rapid approval and, and you know, the children around the world who suffer from the heart condition are able to, um, you know, it's able to assist them in some way. Um, but when you have a look at that from a business point of view, and that's that's what we're here today for, to talk about this as a business and as a stock, um, you know, the, the business still burns an insane amount of cash. And as I said, for, for the greater purpose and the greater good of society, but as a stock, I, I, I'm happy to, um, to sit on the sidelines and let other people fund that. Um, so so I'd, I'd be staying away from Mesoblast, even on a, a, a nice little bounce today and you know, a good announcement. What has to change then? You obviously get past this, get past those trials. I mean, what are you looking for? Well, just you know, commercial traction. Yeah. Uh, some examples out there like Telex Pharmaceuticals, Neuron Pharmaceuticals. Um, uh, what's the other one? That's the skin disease, Claude. Um, it'll come to me in a second. Uh, uh, but, but no, these guys, maybe no. No, the Clinuvel, All examples of, of businesses that have taken a product through to commercialization, generated significant revenues, and now profits. So, you know, look, if you're there early, you obviously get a fantastic reward if they make it, but it's just, it's a massive risk, Andrew, and there's mm. so many, for the ones that make it, so many don't. Um, and so what, that's what you'd be looking for, just, just one of these products, and, and this may be it. You know, you don't need a product that takes over the world. Clean Your Bell's product, you know, has a, has a small addressable market, but it's quite a, a lucrative niche, and they're dominating that as well. So that's that's what you'd be looking to change and see some real commercial traction with, with the product. 
Yes, yeah, such a hard sector to be in, oh, sure. uh, and uh, so much goes into it. Not the least, of course, that cash you should talk about. Uh, Claude, what's your outlook? Just, I mean, negative, always negative. Um, so uh, in, it's funny, you know, the share price is up today on the latest news. As You know, they had a um, trial conducted in 19 children, a single intramyocardial administration of Reviscore at the time of stage surgery resulted in the desired outcome of significantly larger increases in left ventricular end systolic and end diagnostic volumes over 12 months compared to the controls as measured by 3D endocardiography. Now, I don't think many of the people rushing out to buy shares in Mesoblast today, pushing it up 30 cents, really have any idea of what this means for the value of the company, or if they're like me, even really what it means. But um, even assuming they know what that means, I don't think they know what it means for the company. And the funny thing was, you know, the one article I've written about it was years ago now, Mesoblast limited share price takes off on rampant speculation. And I feel like the same could apply today. So I encourage anyone to go back and read that one from uh, a few years ago, if they're interested in it. But you know, at that time, the exciting news was that um, the company reported that a trial of 12, 12, so only 12 that time, ventilated dependent COVID-19 patients saw 10 of those survive after being treated with two infusions of mesoblast allergenic cell therapy cell L, which actually might be the same thing as what they're talking about today. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, cell L, no, this is Reviscore. So maybe I'm not sure if that's just the, the new name of it or something, or if it's a different thing. But the point is, uh, yeah, no, I think it is the same thing. So isn't that funny? Look, I think that history, um, you know, might be repeating itself, but I would view it as a purely speculative stock for all the reasons that uh, Luke said. And then within the realms of speculation, I would, you know, I'd, there's many other speculations that I'd prefer over this one. Uh, many, many. Yeah, and as you will say, unless you've got a full understanding um, of what's going on there at a clinical point of view, uh, it remains pretty opaque. So uh, as you point out, that uh, tends to make it fairly speculative. All right, so I'm, I'm taking it that that's an avoid from you as well. Yeah, definite hard avoid. <laughs> okay. All right. That was our stock of the day. Let's get into the ones as picked by you. The first one being uh, AccuSensus. Uh, it, um, it designs and uh, develops a um, technology focused on, well, distac- distraction basically of drivers, those naughty drivers um, with a heads up solution using AI um, and therefore potentially leads to prosecution. That's like people using mobile phones not wearing seatbelts. And I think I can say that uh, I have used this technology um, and I didn't like it. Because <laughs> I was driving with the family in Queensland and we got pinged for my daughter not wearing her seatbelt correctly, a whopping fine, lots of points. And that's from this camera that was mounted uh, above the freeway. I can assume that's what these guys, uh, well, it's part of their technology. Uh, Claude, tell us a little more about, uh, about the company and what your thoughts are. Well, look, so I mean, the high level stuff is it's about 12 million quarterly level revenue, we could call it 48 or 50 million and a market cap of uh, a bit over 110 million, I think, from memory, uh, with a bit of cash there as well. So um, it's not on a crazy high multiple of revenue, but this isn't really a software company. Remember that it's, it's it might be a tech company, but it's actual physical hardware that gets set up somewhere. So uh, not entirely sure uh, what sort of the right pricing for this is, but putting a pin in that, I, I want to tell you why I kind of find it compelling. So first of all, that story you shared, you know, that really gets to the heart of how I feel about this. To me, this is part of a, 
a historical sociological move towards being, um, I'll call it a surveillance state. Um, and that's kind of where we're heading. And for if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, or even maybe a bit over a year ago, I would have thought, oh, there'll be resistance to this. And I think that, you know, these, you know, the, the idea of things that go inside people's privacy more and more that, you know, I thought once upon a time, oh, surely people will push back on that. I've actually changed my view. Um, I've come to the view that uh, generational attitudes towards privacy have completely shifted. So my father and mother's generation probably had a lot more value on privacy than what uh, my children's generation will certainly than than what we seem to be getting out of uh, Gen Z. So uh, I would say that there's going to be broad acceptance of this kind of surveillance and that, in fact, you know, technology that is ostensibly about saving lives um, is going to be an easy sell. So for that reason, um, I actually think this is a very interesting thematic stock, and that thematic is the surveillance state. So if you took the view, as I do, that we're heading towards the surveillance state, then this may be a beneficiary uh, of that. In terms of the valuation, I, as I said, look, Nick Maxwell gave a, a great introduction to this article on our website at Rich Life. I think it's called an introduction to AccuCensus or something. And that's what got me interested in it. And he argues, you know, points out, look, the valuation is pretty hard at the moment. It's not obvious. It's only just sort of break even level. So perhaps a bit risky there. Probably for that reason, um, I can't, I, won't, I don't want to come out and say a buy just because I'm not that comfortable in the valuation. Uh, so I'd call it a hold. But uh, it, the, the funny non-rational part of my brain kind of is saying, oh, well, this seems like a thematic play. Yeah, all right. That's interesting. Also, so you could call it a speculative buy on the yep. thematic play, actually, I think. Uh, but but I don't hold it myself because, you know, you've got to limit the number of speculations you do. All right. And you're not of that generation where you're accepting of it anyway. So, um, well, <laughs> I, I just think that, uh, yeah, like I, it doesn't, I don't know. Like there's obviously, I'm not saying I'm against this company by any yep. means. Like I think it's fair enough that we shouldn't be using our phones in particular. Uh, when we're driving. So I, I can totally sympathize with the desire to cut down on that. And in fact, the company has a really like uh, compelling founding story story where the founder, Alexander Janik, um, he says that part of this is inspired by the loss of a close friend of his. The incident occurred in Los Angeles. A driver under influence and allegedly using a mobile phone hit a cyclist, you know? So in terms of that kind of compelling reason to mm. actually... Uh, police this, I think it's really there. And, and I think probably we're going to have a trend more towards it, no matter whether, no matter how we feel about it on a personal level, I guess it's it, it's probably justified in some ways. Yeah, we'll bring on driverless technology, I say. Uh, take the humans out of it. Uh, all right. Uh, Luke, your thoughts? I agree with most of that, Andrew. Um, and I knew that um, Nick had a write-up for, for Claude's A Rich Life, um, so I was going to reference it if he didn't. Um, I think it's a you know speculative buy as well, certainly a hold. Um, so Alexander Janik, the CEO, founder, um, the other interesting part of his story is he comes from Redflex, which was previously a, a listed traffic management um, company, and he was the head of technology there. So um, I agree with Claude. It's primarily hardware. Don't expect that software margins or, or scalability to fall. But, you know, I, I I do believe there'd be some genuine technology behind what they're doing and there's a reason why they're winning these government contracts um, mostly in Australia at the minute so that was going to be my main point I was going to bring to the show which is 
I think if you look at the business today, as Claude pointed out, about 110 mil market cap. Um, it's about break even on, on cash and net profit, which is nice to see. Plenty of cash in the bank, about 20 odd mil with some undrawn debt facilities as well. So um, I think your downside's quite protected from that point of view. They're not burning cash. Um, they've got plenty of cash in the bank. Uh, but the valuation to me already has a bit of overseas success in it now. They've won their first small contract over in North Carolina in the US. Um, they've got some tenders over in, in Europe as well. Um, so you would you would probably like to see a few of them coming through. And then what you've seen in Australia is once they win that first small tender, they're usually able to expand with the government into other services. So maybe starting with speed at first, then mobile phone, then seatbelt. And uh, they're also working on a, a drink driver or an um, impaired driver solution as well. So I think there's a lot to like here in that insider ownership. So I agree with Claude. I think speculative buy for you know us, us micro cap investors, mm. um, but, but certainly a hold if you're already there. All right, there you go. Both agreeing there, a hold with potential specky buy on that stock. All right, now I'm actually going to continue my story. So um, I got pinged and uh, on uh, using with that technology on our way to um, Dreamworld, which is owned by our next company that we're going to take a look at. So my money's going everywhere over there at the moment, particularly in Queensland. Um, so this is actually owned by Coast Entertainment, formerly Ardent Leisure. It's actually picked by Mark. Um, he's saying the share price last three years has been significantly impacted, but the company is undertaking a 10% online share buyback. Visitation numbers to its theme parks are slowly increasing. Uh, considering the recent upgrades and uh, to its parks and um, inflation slowly coming back under control, does this company and its falling share price look like a reasonable buying opportunity? He also notes that it's anticipated approximately 50 hectares of land will be approved for development by the Gold Coast Council, increasing share price potential. With all that in mind, Luke, what are your thoughts then? Well, hopefully you stopped off at Star Casino on the Gold Coast, Andrew. <laughs> no, we'll no, I avoid Look, uh, the questioner, he's nailed this. I mean, when I look at it, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to look at the operating business here, given all the disruptions. Obviously, the tragedy back in 2016 really disrupted the, the theme park business and then COVID. Um, and, and then now you haven't seen that full recovery, particularly from international um, businesses, what the company's called out. Um, and then some storms only a couple of weeks ago, which obviously not only caused damage, but over that uh, peak sort of Christmas New Year period as well. So, Things don't look great from that point of view, but um, as the viewer points out, what you're really relying on here with Coast Entertainment is the asset backing of this business. So you look at the AGM, the the formal valuation on the balance sheet's about 250 mil fully depreciated. Um, right now, the market cap's about 200 with net cash after selling off the main event business. Uh, but but the, the chairman and the CEO trying to point out that they think that that's um, that balance sheet valuation probably understates the true value of the business given the land holdings and what they're trying to do with it. So they've got some DA um, applications in right now to, to sort of expand around Dreamworld into some, some other things. Now, that brings CapEx and all sorts of problems, but, you know, looking to unlock the value right now of unused land. Um, Look, for me, all that's very interesting. I think if you're there, you've written it down, there's a nice buyback in place and the balance sheet supports the valuation and you can pretty, you can continue to hold this business. You've, you've suffered through um, you know, a, a lot of pain. Oh, we actually got a decent um, dividend from the sale of main event. For new investors though, look, I, I mean, the business is basically flagging the next couple of years will continue to be, you know, maybe not as tough as what they were, but that, that improvement is slower than expected. You're gonna have significant CapEx outlays 
Um, and then, of course, you know, question marks over once that cash dwindles down because of that and the buyback, you know, does this become a levered business once again? So I would sit on the sidelines if you're not there. I would hold it if you are. So, yeah, for, for the program, I'd, I'd give this one a hold. Yeah. Okay. Claude? Look, I agree with all that. I'll just take a slightly more negative uh, view of it. And through, like, even putting aside the issues that Luke raised, I think that this is not, it's not run in a way that's obviously focused on high ROI. You know, for example, you might go to Gold Coast almost specifically to, um, you know, go to Dreamworld or something like that. There should be a situation where Dreamworld's doing all of these leveraging its business in capital light ways. So you should go to Dreamworld website, which I did, you know, this morning, pretending in my mind like I was going to take my kids there. And there's no thing on the website where they're saying, hey, we've got all these deals with the local hotels um, or you can get a flight and hotel package. And it's a bit of a disc. And they should be doing these kind of things where they're using their brand and presence to just get just keep um, clip the ticket on those other purchases like the, uh, the hotel or the flights or the car hire or whatever it is and and they should be uh you know they need to be really savvy marketers because they've got these big fixed assets which also require tons of maintenance and if they don't maintain them properly then absolute disaster can strike some for those people that don't know you know quite a few years ago now somebody somebody died on one of their rides and you can, as an imagine, it's a disaster for everybody involved and a, and a true tragedy. But it's also just, you know, the nature of these businesses, they, they cannot be looking to save money on these physical assets. So they really need to be working them hard with all the little add-ons they can. And I just don't see it. And that's the only way it could make this make sense as a business to own. Uh, I don't want some massive capital intensive business in a scenario where inflation's running high for a start, which is exactly the kind of business you want to avoid, according to Warren Buffett. And also just um, if they have high maintenance costs, it's common sense because those costs keep going up. So yeah, look, definitely don't want to own this business. Mm. Uh, I agree with Luke that you've probably threw the worst of it. I'm not saying the share price is about to crash again and, and it probably is trading below its asset value and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I do see the thesis there. I don't want to poo-poo it. If someone's writing that, don't listen to me. It's just totally not my style of investing. And so I would sell it. No, fair enough. Okay, that is a sell then from your point of view. All right, well, um, as Luke pointed to, I could exaggerate my story and say we also then went to the next uh, business, which was uh, Star Entertainment. But no, I didn't. I avoided that. Uh, you got to cut your losses somewhere. Um, so that, of course, is in the casino business. Interesting what's going on in that space, of course, in the light of Austrac and the fines that have been handed out and a real all state governments taking a close look at how casinos are run, of course. Um, it has reset its balance sheet, refinances debt, capital raising of some $750 million. Um, so it could service that Austrac fine. Claude, Star Entertainment, thoughts? Well, yeah, look, as you said, a little more than a year ago now, uh, the, the headline read, Star Trek broke money laundering laws innumerable times. Innumerable. Ooh, that's a lot, uh, says Oztrack, right? And uh, look, it's just uh, not It's just not uh, a good sign when, when that, that comes out. And as you can imagine, I've not spent a lot of my, my time actually trying to imagine a bull case for this business. I, I think, I believe, once in the past, I was actually short it when all of this stuff was sort of coming out. But... Ultimately, it just falls way below the quality of a business that I would ever want to invest in uh, for so for so many reasons, innumerable reasons, in fact. And uh, as a result, it's just that one of the easiest avoids I'm ever going to get. I don't know if I need to explain myself more, but it's just 
No, okay. Like, it's just well, a bad quality business yeah. and it has a bad history. And also, you know, there's more competition coming across the across the way in Sydney as well. So overall, yeah, I wouldn't want it. Yep. Okay. In the interest of time, then we'll keep it short. And you've, um, well, that's a, a clear avoid then. Lou? Yeah, look, I think it's a pretty easy avoid for most investors, Andrew. I mean, this is not the sort of business you would own and then sleep easy at night. There's so many issues, which um, you guys have already touched on, so I won't I won't go over them again. Um, look, if you're an investor who can stomach a bit more risk, uh, go back to the conversation on Coast just before about, you know, you want to step into these businesses when it looks like things have bottomed out from a sentiment point of view and they've put the worst of the operational issues behind them. That could be the, the case here with Star as well. Um, I mean, they've taken a pretty large provision for the um, for the Oztrack fine. They've done the recap to the balance sheet. The debt looks, you know, pretty manageable now. Um, you know, so it, it wouldn't take too much of an operational improvement, which at the AGM, things are basically steady for the the, the, the first quarter of um, FY24. For that sentiment to start to turn around and, and you know, Star could, could do okay. Um, but as I say before, I, I don't think that's for every investor. You know, you've got to stay right on top of this one. As I said, they've taken, a, I think, a $500 million provision with, with Oztrack and, and um, a bunch of other remediation stuff. Um, that might not be enough. So, you know, there's a lot still, a, a bit of water to go under the bridge. But, you know, I read Robbie Cook's um, CEO report in the last annual report. Um, you know, actions obviously speak louder than words, no doubt about that. But um, obviously, he was very aware of the, you know, as he put it, the breach the trust of, of governments and, and consumers and, and um, the, the, the public at general. And they've got a lot of work to do and um, sounded like, you know, they had a, a clear plan of what they had to do to get that back. So like Coast, I would hold it if you're there just because I think you've worn so much of the pain. Um, if you're on the sidelines, again, only for an investor who's um, willing to take on a bit of risk and stay on top of an investment and what's happening operationally. Uh, but for the program, let's let's say a hold. All right. Okay. A hold. Okay, well, let's uh, continue with the controversial companies. Uh, the next one being Newix. Now, uh, when this uh, initially um, listed, um, most of the brokers seem really bullish on it. That's because of the promise of what it offered just in terms of being a provider of investigative analytics and intelligence software. However, you take a look back, um, pretty clear that they, they botched it in terms of that, that listing and it's just been a tale of woe. Uh, then you've got um, former um, execs there uh, trying to sue the company, and it's been a legal nightmare for everyone involved in Newix. Um, Luke, maybe I'll get you to sum it up, but also look ahead as to whether they have turned the corner. Yeah, definitely a busted IPO from a few years ago, and there was, uh, without getting too deep into it, you know, um, accusations of fraud or, or you know, uh, misappropriation of, of um, funds or numbers and things like that. Um, look, you know, I think they've put a lot of that behind them, operationally anyway, and you look at the last update, they seem to have stemmed the bleeding in the business, return to growth and, um, you know, a, a measure of profitability. So what I mean by that is is they've come out and said um, they're guiding towards, at the midpoint, about $28 million, um, EBITDA for the first half. Um, Annualises to, you know, somewhere in the, the high, high 50s, maybe 60 mil. 
Um, and on the current uh, market cap of 532, starts to look quite reasonable, you know, around that sort of 10 times EBITDA. Now, the thing I would point out, though, and it's a, a bugbear of, of mine and, and Claude and I, we, we sort of point it out every time we see it, is the capitalization of R&D costs behind that. And, and you know, Newix do that quite substantially. For the last couple of years, about $40 million of, of um, R&D has gone on through the cash flow statement, not the P&L. So that's that sort of high 50, 60 mil profitability, you know, subtract four. 40 mil off that and all of a sudden you're you know you're profitable you're generating cash but but you know for me not enough to sustain the current market cap you know after the, the run it's had um i haven't dealt too much into the software itself or the business as you said it, it's that well it sounds like it's that mission critical sort of data analytics and forensic analytics um what i sort of sort of push back a little bit there is they also have an extremely high sales and marketing costs and to me given you operate in such a small niche I would I would struggle to see why you're having to spend so heavily on sales and marketing. Um, you know, to me, their customer base um, would only be maybe several hundred, maybe a few thousand potential customers. It's really enterprise level forensic analysis and, and government level forensic analysis. So, another sort of question mark for me. Um, at the end of the day, look, I think the fact that it's growing again, um, the profitability is. Uh, a little bit overstated, but but nonetheless there. I think it's a hold, Andrew, uh, but I wouldn't be as enthusiastic as maybe what management is about that EBITDA number, given the, um, the R&D that goes on behind it. Yeah, okay. All right. Luke, are you enthusiastic? <laughs> no. Uh, also, uh, I'm Claude, but I think this is oh, one sorry, of those Claude, tremendous... Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> the tremendously uh, difficult situations where Luke has so perfectly represented my view that I have to completely uh, rejig what I'm going to say just to add something. Uh, and so what I'll zoom in on there is the, the you know, previously these guys had three, uh, you know, pending legal things. There was uh, something about some trades that were made uh, in uh, September 2022. They, the company announced ASIC was conducting an investigation into that. They had a dispute with their former CEO which is now being resolved crucially. And then, of course, there's continuous disclosure stuff that's going on at the moment uh, regarding their past continuous disclosures. So these are three things that I would say all create negative sentiment. We've seen one of them, I guess, get um, get resolved. So that's good. And I think it's probably reasonable to suspect the other two things will get resolved, you know, uh, at some point and probably not in a way that massively surprises the market. Uh, so, you know, I'm just backing the market there for no other reason than than um, usually the hive mind gets these things roughly right, but not always. And uh, but if that is the case, I think that you know there's an idea here that it's actually I would say more strongly than um, ardent leisure and or any of those or definitely the star group. I think maybe the bottom is in for uh, sentiment. We have actually seen the share price come up a fair bit off the lows uh, with Nurix, and at least there's I guess a path. For one day, this being probably a pretty pretty good business, and so for that reason, I ultimately agree with Luke. Hold. I also agree with all of the other things he said, uh, but uh, it, again, probably one that I would look to at a certain point. Uh, I would be looking to get out of this because even now, I don't think it's overly. I don't think it's obviously cheap, uh, which is why I wouldn't give it a buy. And I don't see it necessarily as being a long term play. The thesis I've just outlined would just be a sociological release from the pressure of all of this terrible uh, negative news flow is pretty much what I'm talking about. Yeah, okay. All right, that is the view on Newex. Let's round out the first half of the show with Sonic Healthcare, one of the world's largest uh, diagnostics companies, uh, provides labs, imaging services and the like. 
and um, of course some pathology it was involved with COVID testing but of course that's fallen through the floor now given that uh, revenue down about 80 percent I think uh, although that was in line with estimates uh, given how we've moved on from COVID but um, once we're beyond that Claude um, how do you view Sonic? So I actually think this is uh, great, got a great track record over a really long period of time. I think it's so large now that you could almost start thinking about Sonic Healthcare almost like infrastructure. I only say that, I wouldn't usually say that for a service business and it won't exactly be like infrastructure, but it does have some things in common, like uh, quite a capital intensive network in that have to have labs and, you know, dis- and collection clinics and all that sort of stuff for the pathology. Uh, they obviously do have a skilled wor- workforce there as well. So it's got part of a sort of, I guess, a consulting style. Uh, you know, you're paying highly skilled, some highly skilled employees. So there's a consulting style element to it as well. Uh, but ultimately, what makes it special is really we're going to just keep needing the services no matter what. Obviously, some for some reason they could go massively up and down we've had that recently uh when there was a novel pathogen discovering and a lot of discovered and a lot of testing going on which is no longer going on um so overall it's just clearly it for me it clearly makes it into the kind of business i would own absolutely uh now obviously i aim for higher growth small cap kind of stuff but nonetheless i can still find a place for this sometimes in my portfolio i have owned it before i don't own it right now uh but basically the way i see it is uh, once you, you know, you're paying a fairly high uh, earnings multiple for this company. Um, so I don't see it getting any like uplift there. But I do just think of it as a dividend stock. And and the current dividend yield of, of 3.4%, it would be um, franked up once you take into account franking credits. That's about 4.8%, which is more or less what I'm getting in a term deposit at the moment. So uh, it for me, it would be a hold at the current prices, um, but I would, you know, potentially it wouldn't have to drop too much for me to consider it a buy. And also, I would add that uh, in the future years, not in FY twenty twenty four, but analysts believe that the the dividend pay, the dividend amount will go up in future years after that. So in that case, that yield will go up in a way that a bank account, I don't think we're going to see interest rates continue to go up now. So for that reason, uh, I think look for me, it would be a hold. I don't own it, but mm. for uh, uh, an older gentleman or lady who isn't into the higher higher volatility stuff, I think it's a buy. Yeah, okay, great. Luke, do you agree? Would you be looking to buy at a lower, perhaps a lower price? Uh, I agree. Um, I stole Claude's notes on um, Newix, and now he's done the same to me on Sonic, Andrew, yeah. because I, I agree. I think, um, you know, if you're an investor like us who's after growth and, and, you know, you generally find that in the smaller companies, Sonic doesn't enthuse you too much. But if you're an investor who, you know, likes the stability and, and as Claude points out, a, a solid and growing dividend, then, then that's certainly what Sonic gives you. And I think in their AGM presentation, they showed their 35-year history of, um, of, of dividends, which is just a nice, a beautiful chart. Um, as Claude points out, that valuation sort of in the the, the the low 20s, about 22, 23 times earnings. Um, they will grow a little bit at the EBITDA level. They've guided towards but higher interest costs on, on their debt. Um, so NPAD I've sort of, I guess, will be about flat. Um, but they've made a couple of acquisitions in Germany and Switzerland. And as Claude points out, it's a business that just has a, a, a very long history of, of solid sort of mid-high single digit organic growth um, at, the, at the profitability level and then doing a fantastic job 
of bolting on those acquisitions on top and, and paying down debt and then, um, you know, re-levering when the time's right. So uh, I, I think it's easily a hold if you're the sort of investor, as Claude points out, who is ultra-defensive and is just in a, a, an income yield um, frame of mind, then I think Sonic is even a, a small buy here, but where you'd really love it is maybe around that 17, 18 times earnings. So, you know, if you've got that sort of 15 to 20% pullback, maybe on a bit of a turbulent market or or maybe a small issue just to Sonic's operations, that's when I think you, um, you, would, you would step in and, and buy it a little bit harder. Excellent. All right, good one to round out the first half with. Let's uh, sum up where we have been. Beginning with our stock of the day was Miso Blast, uh, getting that, uh, well, another tick of approval from the US uh, FDA. However, not enough to actually change the view of both Luke and Claude. Uh, Luke making the point, hard to get excited about it. Been burning cash. Um, it's, uh, and Claude saying he's always been negative on this stock. Uh, because, uh, look, it still hasn't got to where it should be. It is an avoid for both. Uh, to our first stock, as picked by you, uh, AccuSensus in that uh, AI space uh, in terms of detection of, uh, well, drivers being naughty, essentially. Um, Claude, um, look, he does point out that perhaps this adds to the surveillance state, but he can see the reasons why uh, you could be bullish on the stock. Um He's, well, in fact, both have a whole but a speculative buy on it, uh, particularly as this technology looks to be more widely adopted. Coast Entertainment, formerly Ardent, uh, and uh, Luke has a hold on it. Um, does point out significant land holdings there. And, uh, but Claude saying, uh, look, he's critical of saying it's not leveraging its brand enough and also capital intensive, which Luke made that point as well. So it's an avoid, well, no, a sell. In fact, from uh, from Luke Star Entertainment, uh, look, look, obviously some significant problems there, uh, given how Austrac and it's been fined heavily as a result, just in terms of some of the nefarious activity that's gone on at their casinos. It is an avoid from Claude. Uh, he's also pointing out more regulatory and competition issues there. Luke's actually a little less negative. He's got a hold on the stock. Newix. And uh, it's uh, had its uh, travails as well. Uh, a hold from Luke. Um, profitability overstated, he says. Um, Claude saying the bottom is likely in. Uh, he's saying it's not cheap, but he's got a hold on it also. And Sonic Healthcare, as I said, both positive there. A, uh, a hold with Claude looking for a potential to buy at a lower price, as is Luke. All right, so let's uh, take a look at our own portfolio here at the Call Pick by our investment committee. Latest episode of That's Life You to Watch at Ausbiz.com. Checking in on the updates, going into December, we had some new buyers and sales. ResMed, Car Group, and Johns Ling were among those that were bought. West Farmers, RPM Global, and MA Financial were sold. Checking in on its performance, and the fund is up 17.5% on a cumulative return basis since its inception in March 2022. So keep your uh, requests coming in, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. So next half for our show, we're gonna take a look at Treasury Wine Estate, uh, Life360, XREF, GenX Power and Grange Resources. So beginning with Treasury Wine Estate, and uh, in fact, had that recent acquisition late last year of the Californian wine brand, uh, wine brand Dow, uh, becoming the largest luxury wine producer in the US as a result. And um, also we've got that anticipated wine back of tariffs with China, uh, with the trade set to fully reopen there. So on that basis, Luke, I'm interested to get your outlook for Treasury Wine. 
Um, a little bit like Sonic, got a large cap trading sort of in that low 20s, um, you know, return to growth after a couple of um, rough years with, with the China stuff and the tariffs. Um, like a lot of the market, though, Andrew, when I look at the acquisition of, of that Dow Wines, I, I struggle to get enthused. I mean, um, my, my note that I jotted down here was they've paid a very full price for that acquisition, um, you know, paid a, a multiple higher than what Treasury Wine traded at. Um, so to get any sort of accretion at an equity level, which it was essentially completely funded by an equity raise, um, they need to generate some decent synergies with that business. Now, look, that could easily happen. Um, you know, Treasury Wines has a global distribution network. They know how to manage a portfolio of brands. Um, they've identified that this one is an, an emerging luxury brand in the US and has that potential to grow and, and, and become larger. Um, but I mean, as an investor, you don't necessarily want to pay up early for that sort of execution risk. You like that to be the potential blue sky to an investment if things work out in your favour and, and sort of be covered to the downside. So um, it's no surprise to me the share price has pulled off, you know, post that acquisition. As I, said, I think they paid up for it. Um, you know, it does flesh out that portfolio, particularly in the US, and establishes them there well and truly. Uh, for me, I think it's a hold um, a bit like Sonic. Uh, they don't have the dividend like Sonic, I think, is a, is a key difference. Um, but if it's that little bit cheaper in that sort of high teens PE ratio is where I think you would start to look and get interested. Um, and look, the business could easily end up there. Um, as you pointed out, there's, there's some uh, potential tailwinds coming their way from the China stuff. Penfolds is still an amazing business. I mean, you, when, they, when they break out Penfolds as a standalone business, the margins it, it earns are just uh, are unbelievable. Um, so there's a lot, a lot to like here. But as I said, I'd need to see a bit of water under the bridge with that acquisition and, and, and mm. start to see the synergies that they need to, to get to sort of make that make sense to me. All right. Okay. Claude, do you like the stock or just their product? Uh, I, I'm not even a massive fashion. What I was going to criticize is their products. Um, <laughs> so let me just like make one point. Like the only reason I can see to own this is the good, the good stuff, which is the penfolds, right? Penfolds is a Veblen good for people who aren't aware with that. Um, they're typically high quality groups that are a well-made exclusive and a status symbol symbol. The name comes from an economist who identified conspicuous consumption as a mode of status seeking, right? So the picture of the Penfolds, you know, $500 bottle of 30 year old Grange, that is a status. The the giving of your children Penfolds of the year of their vote, their birth, that is like a status thing. That's only some people in society do that. It's like a, it's a dog whistle to each other. And um, that is what is valuable in a brand. That is incredibly value, valuable. So the only reason I would want to own this company is that. The rest, they're trying to maybe replicate that with their, their latest purchase. Maybe it'll happen. I don't know. A lot of these things is just like, you know, Penfold is a very, 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 very old brand, right? So I don't know how easily it is to replicate this. It could happen. I probably don't want to be a part of punts and attempts to do that. Um, I would just want to invest in this Penfolds business if I could, uh, definitely and absolutely. Then, of course, you've got this other lower quality business wrapped around and and basically overcoming this and uh, being more capital intensive and sucking up capital, reducing the dividend that can be paid. 3.4% yield. Um, it's got an element of something beautiful in it, but mostly it's not. A, it's like a capital intensive business that is, you know, it can be affected by Chinese regulations or or whatever it is. It um, yeah, there are so many reasons that it could have a, a tough time. And so 
Uh, overall, I would avoid it. But mm. uh, if there was any way that I could just own the Penfolds, I'd absolutely want to do that. And I'd pay a high multiple for it as well. Yeah. But I would just want a company that just milks that one thing. All right. Okay. There goes to your taste then. Okay. Uh, we better pick up the pace. Uh, let's move on now to uh, Life360. Uh, I can bring in my own personal experience uh, again. Um, talking about the surveillance state, Claude. Uh, nothing like surveilling your own family, uh, which is certainly what Life360 does. If you want to identify and find out where your kids are and elsewhere, this is the technology that does that. Uh, last year's performance, uh, some 40% revenue growth, uh, did embark on aggressive cost reduction program as well. So, Claude, what are your thoughts on Life360? Uh, so this is, the, this is the company that changed my mind about all this stuff, right? Because I thought, you know, because for a while there, I think it was on, I don't know, TikTok, TikTok or Snapchat or something. There was a bit of a backlash amongst uh, young people about Life360 and the, and the monitoring. And if you go on Reddit, you can see that there are people who, there are young people who have been negatively affected by this app. Uh, it seemed like I thought at that stage, you know, surely there's going to be a move away from these things. I don't think that that came through in any way. And in fact, um, I've started to hear about uh, young people, even after they've left their family, continuing to have Life360 as perhaps like a safety thing for each other. So they might have each other as friends in their own circle or whatever it is. And uh, that way they can sort of see where each other are. And actually, I could see... Uh, that that actually being a bit of a, a selling point. But more importantly, I think it shows that uh, if people are just using this as a voluntary way to get in, keep in touch with other people, I think it shows that there's a real attitude change towards the, uh, you know, monitoring of where each other are all the time. And that, that could be that thematic megatrend that I was talking about that I think may actually be happening. And if it's happening, then I think this is an interesting speculation for that. So, with that speculative thesis, I don't own it. Usually when I come up with a compelling speculative thesis, I still don't buy them because I don't want to speculate too much. But I do like that one. And then the other thing is I do think that the main thing that I want, would want to see for this to get across the line for me would be the, for the company to reach break even. Right now uh, on my numbers, it's on approximately six times subscription revenue. I'm not that interested in the hardware revenue. Subscription revenue is probably like that's probably reasonable if this was a profitable company, even if it was a high PE ratio. But as it is still burning cash, it's just not quite there yet for me. Mm. So on the financials, it just feels a little bit too expensive to me. I can't get across the line. However, there's this sort of like side pocket um, a speculative thesis that I find quite compelling, but I'm, I'm trying to, you know, not speculate too much. All right. So that is a... You can call it, a, you could call it a speculative buy. Okay. All right. Got you there. Luke? Uh, this is a tricky one for me, Andrew. Um, the main sort of uh, thought I have about this business, which frames the, the way I think about the numbers and everything else, is that to me, this business feels like it's one where their product should be a feature of someone else. And and, and I come back to this question of what happens if Apple or, or Google through their Android system release some sort of similar app? And, and for those guys, you know, it would literally be a feature, probably a free feature. Um, but before that happens, I mean, these guys have built a fantastic business and the growth has been stellar and the SaaS metrics look really good. Um, to Claude's point, you know, they haven't been profitable. That was a criticism, you know, from the market through 2022 for a lot of businesses. Um, and so they came out and grew their revenue 50% and kept their operating costs flat and now are approaching that break-even status. So 
operationally, I mean, you look at this business and there's a, a lot to like. And, and as they get to that profitability and they're still growing the way they are, as Claude said, it looks quite reasonable. And I think you get quite excited about it. The the issue I have, and as I said, what frames my my whole thinking around this business is at a $1.4 billion valuation, I think you know, you're paying for that growth out into the, the medium and long term, at least the next three to five years of the business. Um, and that's sort of where I lose the I lose the confidence that that, that key risk I highlighted before of, of Apple or Google stepping in. And, and th- there is an example of this happening on the hardware side of the business where these guys bought Tile, which was a, a, you know, a, a tracking chip business, and then Apple released AirTag tags um only you know a couple of years later and as already i mean it hasn't killed tile but no doubt is, is a big impediment to the growth of that 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 segment and so that's the main risk i see with this business and i can't shake it enough to to like at this valuation mm. um if you're there i would hold and i and i think i would just keep a really close eye on it and if the operating metrics continue the way they are i think you'll do okay what worries me is that black swan risk of, of one day waking up to an announcement that apple or google have released a similar feature and as i said it will most likely be free on those ecosystems so bear that in mind okay all right that is the view on life 360 as i said we better pick up the pace we've got three to go luke let's get into xref develops uh Human resource technology, it's essentially automating candidate references and so on. So it makes it easier for employers. Uh, tell us a little more about it. Yeah, try to keep it brief, Andrew. Unfortunately, I own this one in Merriweather the capital has been a tough performer. Fortunately, a, a small position um, and, and partly turned itself into one. Um, look, this business has been swept up in the, the larger malaise of, of micro cap technology. But what's most disappointing is there's some self-inflicted wounds here. Um, so, you know, you go back a couple of years ago, um, admittedly with some tailwinds around um, the pandemic hiring and, 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 and um you know, the, the the great migration that we saw of people moving in and out of jobs. These guys saw a good tailwind, but but on the back of that, you know, really saw the increased revenue um, with operating leverage fall through to, to genuine sort of um, uh, cash flow and, and, and a small profit as well. And then um, over the last couple of years, for good reason, have embarked on on some some product spend and some investments, and have tipped back into an operating loss, which in this current market is a big no no for for these micro cap tech stocks, which is why the chart looks like that. Um, but the other key risk as well is is the balance sheet. I mean, you know, without much cash in the bank, and they have a small bit of debt as well. I think there's rightful questions to be asked about whether you know if if things don't turn around, if these guys continue with their current trajectory, whether an equity raise is required. Um, so look, the reason I do continue to own the business though is you know it's cheap on a revenue multiple um now um, that is um transaction based revenue right now but but transitioning to that that um higher quality subscription revenue so about a 20 odd mil market cap and about 23 mil um revenue which which you know will grow to maybe 25 26 mil this year uh, but what the market's really looking for and and myself as well is seeing that return to operating leverage and profitability come through so I continue to hold, and, and I think if you're there, you'd hold it. Um, for anyone on the sidelines, I would I would stay there um, until you see that 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 operating pivot come through and the, and the business return to, to cash flow and profitability. All right, good one, Claude. If you can make it brief. Oh yeah, I, I probably would. I disagree with too many management decisions that have been made. Uh, this this company, for example, I definitely think uh, it should have stayed profitable and done anything it could to stay profitable, and that to me leads 
to the conclusion that I either very disagree very, very strongly with uh, management decisions or else they really had to go into a loss and it wasn't a choice, in which case I also don't want to own the stock. So either way, either conclusion, it's a, it's an avoid for me. Yep. All righty. That's pretty simple then. Okay, let's uh, move on to our ninth stock. It is Genix Power and uh, it's uh, renewable energy. Uh, generation and storage projects across the country. It's got its, its flagstone, it's Kidston Clean Energy in North Queensland. It also integrates um, large-scale solar generation and pump storage hydro as well. Of course, we know what's going on, uh, re- renewable trend across the planet. So how does GenX Power fit into that and just how investable is it, Claude? I, I do think that it is investable, absolutely. And there aren't actually that many like clean tech style companies that I would consider to be investable. And this is one of them. There is a price at which I would say this is attractive. Uh, and there's a, a number of reasons for that. But as we're, and, uh, as we're short for time, I'll say, I do think this is a potential takeover target one day. They're doing all the hard yards of capital intensive development of um, solar and pumped hydro storage and all this kind of stuff. I do think that one possible outcome is just as things start to get better for this company, it's subject to a takeover op- offer before. Again, it has been before, though the takeover didn't take pri- take place. Um, I don't think it's obviously cheap at the moment. I'd probably landed at a hold. Um, but having said that, if it was trading at around book value, I would probably consider it a, a speculative buy and uh, because I think that in the in the end, these projects will pay off, and they will be good, and they'll be and they'll be worth something. So, uh, just a matter of price, but uh, I'd call it a hold. Yeah, and okay. I do think it's in one of the rare, very rare clean energy kind of investable stocks that are on the that remain on the ASX because they do often end to get like they do often tend to get taken over in the end because once you've got a power infrastructure up and running, it does have those sort of very modelable returns. And so someone can often take it over if it gets too cheap. All right. That's a great summary. Luke? Um, I, I agree with that. And, and to be honest, this is one I've probably been more negative on. And when I looked a little bit closer for the program, Andrew, uh, my opinion started to change um, and, and quite dramatically, to be honest. Um, so first of all, there was a takeover offer for this business for 25 cents not that long ago from Scott Farquhar and his investment vehicle um, from Atlassian fame. Um, so I think at, at today's valuation, and, and he continues to own a substantial amount of shares, I think at today's share price valuation, you know, th- there's a reason reasonable case to be made, there is a shareholder here who has shown an interest in this business and at, at higher prices um, and, and could underpin an investment thesis right there. Um, but the other thing I liked is when I looked at their AGM presentation, a, a very clear trajectory of how these um, energy projects are about to ramp up over the next couple of years. So they're forecasting revenues going from 20 million to 60 million over the next two years and then eventually peaking out, you know, around a 120, 130 mil um, in you know, the 30 year life of, of these assets. Um, the thing that's always held me back is a, a very high debt load. But again, you look a bit closer at that debt, and the vast majority of it is from the Queensland government at sub 3% interest rates locked in until 2036. It's not going to be an issue for them from an operational point of view. And of course, as I said, um, those operations are, you know, will will and truly ramp up before then. So I think there's quite a lot to like here. And, and so, you know, I'd, I'd give it a speculative buy. The reason why it is speculative, though, is there is still a lot of execution and operational risk here. We're talking about bringing big infrastructure projects online and ramping them up to full capacity. There's no guarantee that happens as smoothly as what a, you know, a chart and an AGM presentation makes it out to be. And 
that's why you, you know you take the discount to to the asset value and the valuation. You're pricing in some of that, but I think at today's price, a lot of that's built in. So I agree with Claude, and I think this is one that's certainly investable in that green energy space, one of the few, um, and probably a speculative buy today. All right. In fact, I'm going to label that a double then, a double specky buy. Uh, well, maybe at a lower price, given that's what uh, Claude uh, was uh, was looking for. All right, let's round it out with Grange Resources. John saying, despite all the speculation about the Chinese economy, the iron ore prices are holding up quite well. They have just come off recently, of course, but uh, certainly no one uh, predicted they'd go as high as they did last year. Grange has about a quarter of billion dollars in cash and equivalents, he says, on its balance sheet and shows almost 10% dividend yield. Why is it so cheap? Luke? Well, the short answer to John is because of the, the management ownership and board behind this business. Um, now, rightly or wrongly, you know, because of that, and there's some sort of um, opaqueness in, not in their reporting, but in their communication to the market, they're, they're quite short with that. Um, so I think that that discount valuation will always overhang the business. Um, I think the mine life on their key mine is maybe only another 10 years as well. So the market could also be looking towards, you know, the exploration activities they have and whether there's risks about sort of um, the, the the cash flows continuing into the future. But, but you know, John's correct. Um, you know, when we sit here today, 500 mil odd market cap, more than half of that in net cash and securities generated uh, 20 mil last quarter in what was slightly weaker than the prior. Um, there's there's a lot to like from that point of view. And all I would say to John is I wouldn't own this stock expecting that share price to re-rate on a, from a multiple point of view. You you own this stock for the for the dividend yield. And to me, 10% is pretty good. If you're comfortable with um, you know the management, and as I said, they've been there for quite a long time. They've got a, a track rec- a track record of, of good execution. I think that dividend is good enough to hold this stock. But I wouldn't sit there and expect that PE to re-rate alongside a, a Fortescue, BHP, Rio, or any of the other iron ore producers um, just because of the the governance around the stock. So hold. I would hold it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I should have pointed out too, for those unfamiliar with it, it is a magnetite producer, owns uh, and operates a mining and pellet production business in Tassie. Uh, Claude, what are your thoughts? Look, no, no strong view, but I'll err on the side of caution and say, uh, look, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even hold it, only because if I wanted exposure to iron ore price, I'd probably take a lower risk but possibly slightly lower return option into Terra Royalties. Uh, so that would be just the lower risk reward way of potentially playing the same theme if you if you wanted exposure to the iron ore price. However, if you want something spicier, I can understand why grain should be interesting. But yeah, like I agree with everything that uh, Luke said. I wouldn't be expecting a re-rate on multiples. Good one. We got there in the end. Uh, that was great, guys. Thanks for that. We'll just uh, sum up the uh, the final five there. And uh, we began with Treasury Wine Estate. Of course, it has its issues uh, with China. But that looks as though it may well be resolved sometime this year in terms of that export market. A recent acquisition there, which uh, Luke was questioning just in terms of the value of that. He's got a hold on it. Claude, though, uh, look, he said if you just took the premium brand being a Penfolds, he'd take it. But no, it's an avoid. Life 360. Um, Look, Claude pointing out the thematic megatrend here. He's got a specky buy on it, though he said it doesn't need to break even. Uh, Luke, though, um, he's surprised perhaps that some of the bigger players such as Apple or Google haven't actually picked up such a, uh, this sort of technology. He's got a hold on it. XREF, um, Luke says he owns it. has been a bit of a painful ride for him. Said uh, the company has a lot of self-inflicted wounds. He's got a hold on it, saying it is quite cheap at these levels. Um, Claude disagreeing with management outlook and decisions there. He's got an avoid on the stock. And uh, Gen X Power, well, both uh, 
quite uh, liking this one. It is in that uh, renewable energy generation space. Um, both essentially got a specky buy on it and saying it is a potential takeover target. And just finally, the Grange Resources, a hold there from Luke and uh, no, uh, Claude said, if you want uh, exposure to the iron ore price, then to Terra Royalties is the way to go. All right, that is our show for today. And uh, we do think our, thank our guests. Luke, thanks for joining us in Merriweather. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the weekend. You too. And Claude from A Rich Life. Thanks very much. Thank, thank you for having me and thanks for a great show, both of you. All right, any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can go to osbiz.co forward slash callpicks or tweet us at osbiztv. Thanks for watching. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.